Thank you very much. Let's uh, turn to Romans chapter 6, shall we? Romans chapter 6. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can come before you today with thanksgiving. That we have a God who cares for us, loves us, and who sent his son to die for us. We thank you, Father God, for the privilege of knowing you as our Savior. And we do pray that today, that those of us who do know you would, Father, uh, come before you in uh, worship you in spirit and truth, and that, Lord God, that today you would minister to us through your word, that you challenge us by its truth, that you would encourage us through its wisdom, and that, Lord God, today you would receive the praise and the glory for the time we spent together around your word. Lord, as always, I ask that you would help me, that you would empower me, and you would uh, give me wisdom, Father God, in my speech, and may your word be a blessing to our hearts today. And may you be lifted up, we pray. God, our time now, we pray in your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's desire for every one of us as believers, as I'm sure we all know, is that he wants you and I to live victorious lives. He wants you and I to be sanctified, to be set apart for the glory of God. And I guess that for most of us as believers, that's also our desire that we desire to have victorious, sanctified lives that we want daily to bring glory to God. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, we have been told by the Lord that we've been given the power and the means for that victory. As we know that we're dead to sin, and as we reckon that we are indeed dead to sin, and therefore yield unto Christ, we will have the victory. Now, last week, we started to look at why we should yield. And we saw that we should yield because we have found favor with God. We should yield also because we've received the facts about yielding. And thirdly, because we have found freedom in Christ. We saw last week that we're under new management. Sin was our former master. God is our master today. He's our new master as born-again Believers, Now, having declared this truth about salvation, that you and I can indeed have the victory, Paul now goes on as he closes this chapter to show what should be the result of that aspect of our salvation. The fact that you and I are being given everything that pertains to life and godliness, given everything we need for the victory, he now explains to you and I what the results should be of this aspect of salvation. He says, firstly that we ought to be enthusiastic in yielding. We ought to be enthusiastic in leading, look at yielding. Verse 19, speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you've yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. In verse 19, Paul suggests that the Christian ought to be enthusiastic in yielding the Lord as, as enthusiastic he was in yielding to sin. Someone put it this way. He said, I want to be as good a servant as I was a sinner. He wanted to serve the Lord with the same vigor, with the same passion, the same enthusiasm as he had served 
sin. And that's Paul's point here. That's what Paul means here in verse 16. He tells us that we are to yield to God in the same way, with the same vigor, the same enthusiasm with which we served sin. We're to give God our all. Now it's interesting. He makes this phrase in verse 19. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. Here he's referring to what he's about to say. Not what he's already said in the chapter, but what he's about to say in the next few verses, verses 19 to 23. And the phrase, after the manner of men, simply means humanly speaking. So Paul changes tack here. He's being given us the doctrine in verses 1 through 18. He's laid out the doctrinal principles. He's laid out the, the truths that we need to know about counting ourselves dead unto sin, reckoning ourselves dead indeed unto sin, and yielding ourselves unto Christ. He's laid out the principle, and now he comes to verse 19. He kind of changes tack a little bit, and he says, humanly speaking. You see, for us who have been freed from sin, and you and I who have been freed from sin have been made slaves of God, that's a fact. And that fact should be enough for us to have the victory. The fact of what's been taught in verse 1 to 18 should be sufficient for you and I to have the victory. But on the human level, because of our infirmities, because of our flesh is weak, we need some more things to be said to us. That's what he's saying here. I speak out for the man or man because of the infirmity of the flesh. I know that everything I've said should be enough to give you the victory. But I know, humanly speaking, because we're weak in the flesh, I need to just tell you a few more things. I need to kind of cement it for you, put in place for you, so that you understand the victory and why we ought to seek that in our lives. In other words, Paul is making an appeal to human reason here. He says, he goes on to say in verse 19, he says, For as you've yielded your members' servants to uncleanness, and iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness as unto holiness. The idea here is, as you at one time in the past yielded to sin when you're unsaved. And when we were unsaved, we were in dominion of sin. When we, the old man was alive and well, and the result of that was that we yielded ourselves unto iniquity and in, to iniquity. Now the phrase iniquity to iniquity shows that it was intense. It was a constant yielding to iniquity. And so what he says is, so as you were once intensely yielded to sin, from iniquity to iniquity, so now yield yourselves to Christ. That's the contrast in this verse. Notice what he says towards the end there. He says, even so now, yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. In the same way, with the same intensity as you yielded yourself to sin, now dedicate yourself to God. This is as you yield yourself as an unsaved person, to the things you did as an unsaved person, even so now that you're saved, Paul challenges you and I, the Lord challenges you and I, 
to yield our members with that same passion to righteousness unto holiness. So even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. As hardly as you obeyed the flesh, as as hardly you followed after sin, in the same way now pursue righteousness. Exercise the same kind of energy is what he's saying. Have the same passion for God that you had for sin. Have the same kind of desire as you had for sin. And the end of that kind of obedience is holiness. So he says in verse 19, Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Holiness is sanctification. If you and I truly want to live victorious lives, if you and I truly want to be sanctified, then what we need to do is we need to yield ourselves with the same passion, the same enthusiasm, the same dedication to righteousness as we did under sin. And the result of that will be holiness. He goes on in verse 20 and he says this, For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. So now he kind of wants to explain the contrast between what we were when we were unsaved and what we are now that we're saved. And we see here the unsaved person is also free. But not free from sin, free from righteousness. For when you are servants of sin, you are free from righteousness. It's an interesting statement. Because an unsaved person cannot be righteous. Isn't that what Isaiah 63 says? All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's not possible for an unsaved person to be righteous. But the reality is he can abstain from certain sins. The unsaved can perform certain good and religious works. An unsaved person can live a morally upright life but they cannot be righteous. Because if they could, they'd be saved. And so the apostle here makes it clear in verse 20 that they're free from righteousness. And his bondage to sin leads him deeper into slavery. Because it becomes harder and harder to do what is right. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. It was not possible for you to live righteously. In fact, the sin just keeps on making it worse. The old account was getting larger every day. Sin just leads to more sin. It's a downward spiral. You know, the prodigal son is an example of that principle. In Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 14. Let's go there, Luke 15. Verse 11. And he says, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together 
and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a certain of that country, a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house, uh, of my father's, have bread enough to eat and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, and make me as one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion on him, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, and his shoes on his feet, and bring hither a fatted calf, and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. The prodigal son. You know, when he was living at home with his dad, he decided to be free. He went to dad and he said, give me my inheritance. I want to be free. And so he left the father's house and he went into rebellion, and his rebellion led him deeper and deeper into problems. He went and wasted his inheritance. He ended up containing pigs and ended up desiring to eat the swill that was given to the pigs. He got deeper and deeper into sin. What he thought was freedom turned out to be the worst kind of slavery. Sin had enslaved him. His freedom had enslaved him. His freedom had caused him great difficulty. It's only when he returns home, back to his father's house, and yields to his father's will, that he finds freedom. Freedom was found in the father's house. Freedom was found in obeying his father. Freedom was found in living under his father's rules. Freedom was found delighting himself in doing his father's will. And that's true for you and I as believers. You see, freedom is not found in you and I doing what we want. Freedom is not found in you and I doing our will. Freedom is not found by you and I rebelling against authority, rebelling against God, rebelling against those who would want us to serve the Lord. Freedom is not found in rebellion. It's not found in doing our own thing. Freedom is found in yielding to Christ. When you and I yield to Christ, we are free indeed. True freedom is found within the bounds of obedience to the Lord. See, what Paul is trying for you and I to understand here, what the Lord wants you and I to grasp here, is this truth, that none of us are really free from a master in the sense of being absolutely independent. None of us are our own boss. We have a master. Either sin is our master, or God is our master. We must serve one or the other. 
We can't say serve God and mammon. We have to choose. If we choose not to serve God, then you and I are serving sin. If we choose to serve God, then we're not serving sin. That's the choice that we have. We have two masters, and we have to choose which master we serve. And if we are free from sin, which we are, according to verse 2 of Romans chapter 6, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Because you and I are freed from sin, then you and I are able to yield to Christ. Because he is our master. He is our Lord. And the reason we should lead, yield to him is because we are free from sin. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. The, the, the leadership, the, the lordship, the kingship of sin, the dominion of sin has been broken. You and I have been delivered into the kingdom of righteousness. You and I have been placed under the authority of Almighty God. Jesus Christ is our Lord. And you and I, because we are dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. And if we do, we'll be free indeed. We're not our own beloved. We're bought with a price. We have freedom from sin. So we must yield to our master. The unsaved cannot have righteousness as their master because they already have another master and that master is sin. The question for you and I is, which master will we choose? Will we choose to serve Christ or sin? Well, we ought to serve, serve Christ. And we ought to do it with enthusiasm. We ought to be enthusiastic about yielding to Christ. As enthusiastic as we were in yielding to sin, we ought to be in yielding to Christ. And then secondly, as a result of that, we will produce the fruits of righteousness. We will produce the fruits of righteousness. Verse 21, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now we made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have your fruit under holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here the Lord wants to remind you and I of the results of what it was like when we were slaves to sin. So he asks the question, what fruit had ye in those things that you're ashamed of. What fruit had you? When you were unsaved, when you and I were living apart from God and we were living in sin and we were slaves to sin, what fruit had we? Well, the answer is no fruit. What fruit had you in those things where you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The word end here speaks of the final result of a state or process. The final result of a state or process. So the end result, the final state of the process of sin is death. Paul's reminding us here of the direction of sin, where sin leads to. When sin is the dictator... The end is death. That's always the consequence. 
Sin always leads to death. Sin never leads to life. Sin never leads to freedom. Sin never leads to joy and incitement. Sin always leads to death. Now this is a good reminder for you and I because he's trying to encourage the believer here. Remember, this passage is for born-again believers, those who trust Jesus Christ as Savior. He's talking to you and I, those of us who are dead to sin and alive unto Christ. He is trying to encourage you and I as believers to put off the yoke of sin that we may be free from sin. So he reminds us that sin reaps nothing but death. It reaps nothing and it ends in death. There is no fruit worthy of anything that sin produces. You know, sin may have pleasures for a season, as Moses found out, but in the end, the consequence is death. Now, when we serve a master, we can expect to receive reward. And the reward for serving sin is death. What fruit then are those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, the Romans were ashamed of their former life. That's the, what he's saying here. You're ashamed of this. You're ashamed of the way you behaved in your former life. Why were you ashamed of that? Because it was unbeneficial. All it did was bring death. All it did was bring separation. It didn't bring joy. It didn't bring happiness. It didn't bring fulfillment. It didn't bring purpose in living. It didn't bring anything of any benefit. And the Romans were ashamed of their former life, their sin. Why then would they, why then would we want to live a life which only fruit is death? It only has its end, death. Now, the reason, one of the reasons you and I get saved is because we didn't want to live eternally separated from God. We did not want to experience the second death. And we knew that the wage of sin is death, and we didn't want to die eternally. So what we did was we trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and we were then placed under His authority. And the truth is, you and I were ashamed of the way we lived prior to the day we got saved. And now we're thankful we're saved. And the question is then, why would we want to go back and serve a master whose only payment is death? When serving Christ is life. Christ said that, I come to give you life and more abundantly. Abundant life. We should be ashamed of our former life. And that should motivate you and I to live for Christ. To you, you and I to desire to produce the fruits of righteousness. Which he talks about in verse 22, where he says this. But now being made free from sin, and become the servants to God, ye have your fruit under holiness, and the end everlasting life. Here's the contrast. Here's the contrast between serving sin and serving Christ. 
Here's the contrast between what we were in the past and what we are in the present. Here's the contrast from the disgraceful conduct of sin to the joy and gratitude of our present relationship in Jesus Christ. The Lord says here, seeing that being a slave to sin ends in death, and being a slave to God ends in everlasting life, you choose which master you want to serve. Why should we then, why would we as believers want to submit to an old master when submitting to the old master is a fruitless existence? One that does not bring joy, one that does not bring peace, one that does not bring happiness, death. So he, he encourages the Romans to deny the dictatorship of sin. And so again, says that the principle related to the two alternatives, the two alternative masters, sin or God. And the chapter ends with a verse that is well known. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we usually apply this verse to the unsaved, and clearly it does apply to them. Because the wage of sin is death. Those who don't need to know Jesus Christ, their Savior, their master is sin, and the wages of sin is death. This verse is clearly for the unsaved. It clearly relates to them that the wage of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only means of eternal life is Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 is clearly a verse that can be applied to the unsaved. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, the truth of the matter is the wages of your sin will be death, eternal separation from God. And the only way for eternal life is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Romans 6.23 clearly has a relevance to the unsaved. But it's written as a warning to the saved. The context of this verse is Romans chapter 6, which fits in that three-chapter section, 6, 7, and 8, which is all about our relationship to God. And the point of verse 26 is poignant for you and I who are saved. He's summing up everything he said. He said it, he's repeated it, he's repeated it again and again and again. He said it again in verse 19 and again in verse 20, verse 21, 22, 23. Okay? He then repeats here in verse 23 as a conclusion the whole thing and he says it again to us, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the word translated wages here in verse 23 denotes what is purchased to be eaten with bread. Okay, so such things as fish, meat, vegetables, etc. So what you would eat with your bread, this is what you purchase with your wages. It was particularly significant to Roman soldiers. And the Romans would understand what he's saying here. You see, this was the pay that the Romans received as soldiers. 
It was formerly the custom to pay Roman soldiers in these things, to give them the things that would go with their bread. Okay? They would pay them in fish, meat, vegetables, etc., to go along with their bread that they were supplied as a ration. So for serving in the Roman army, you were given a ration of bread and water, and then as wages for your service, you were given things to eat with your bread and water. And it means what a man earns or deserves, what he merits. Now as applied to sin, it means that death is what sin deserves. See, death is therefore called wages of sin. It's not arbitrary, an undeserved appointment, but the wages of sin is death because that is the proper reward. That is the proper payment. That is the proper consequence. That is the proper benefit of death. Of sin, rather. It's death. And the point is that Paul has been representing sin as a king, a mighty monarch, a tyrannical power whose subjects are sinners. And his subjects, his servants, who are sinners, are his soldiers. And the consequence of that relationship, the payment, the wages that you get for serving your tyrannical king, sin, is death. Remember when we looked at members, yielding your members as instruments? Under sin and instruments unrighteousness, talking about weapons being used by a king, a tyrannical, by the king or lord, whether it be a tyrannical master of sin or whether it be God. Let's hear what he's closing with. And all the wage that someone can expect for being in the army of sin is death. That's the only reward. That's the only wage. So if you and I as believers refuse to yield to Christ, to surrender ourselves unto the Lord, surrender our bodies to the Lord, and as a result yield to sin, the result is the same. The wages of serving sin is death. That is a statement of fact. If you choose as a believer not to serve Christ, not to seek first His righteousness and His kingdom, not to put Him first in your life. You choose to serve yourself, then you're serving sin, and the payment for that is death. That is the consequence. There is no other pay. There is no other benefit. The wages of sin for the unsaved is death, and the wages of sin for the saved is equally the same. It's death. If we use our members for sinful and selfish purposes, they're in danger of being disciplined by our Father, and our works will simply end up being worthless. Go with me to Hebrews. Chapter 12, please. Hebrews chapter 12.
and verse 5. Here is 12.5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the, ch the chastening of the Lord, for nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deal with you as the sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave them reverence, shall we not much more be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might partake us of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the priestly fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see, if you and I do not yield ourselves unto God. We're in danger of being chastened by the Father. And the reason He chastens you and I is so that you and I might indeed enjoy the fruitfulness of righteousness, that you and I might enjoy the fruit of holiness. Because He knows, as He is teaching here in Romans, that the consequence of doing our own thing, living for self, is serving sin, and serving sin only brings with it misery. It does not bring joy. You know, Samson was an example of that. Here's a man who has all the strength in the world, can be used mightily for God, but instead, he didn't yield to God, he yielded to self. And because he preferred to yield to the lust of the flesh, the result was death. It ended up in physical death. But his life was one of misery. It ended up in misery. He ended up in chains. His eyes being plucked out. He was not enjoying his life. The man who could have been such an influence for righteousness and could have reaped the rewards of righteousness found that sin brings death. So you and I must yield to God. Why? Because if we are to produce the fruits of righteousness, then we must yield to the Lord. If we fail to yield to Him, then what you and I will find is our works are empty. Our works are fruitless. Our works don't have any joy in them. You and I will live our lives living for self, pursuing worldliness, pursuing a worldly treasure maybe, pursuing all these things, at the end of the day, the end of our life, we'll look back and our life will be empty, our life will be fruitless, and indeed we'll be dead. Now as I said last week, we can't lose our eternal salvation. Praise God for that. Once saved, always saved. We can't be uh, a part of the past of the second death. We're told in Revelation that we'd be thankful that those of us who are saved are not partakers of the second death. We will not spend one moment in the lake of fire. But you and I can have lives that are indeed fruitless, empty, and full of death. 
Oh, you and I can have lives that are rich, that are full of life, full of blessing, full of God's riches being poured upon us. The choice is ours. Serve uh, sin, that master which simply brings about death, or serve Christ that brings about holiness. Do you want your life to be empty and fruitless or full and fruitful? See, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, we have explained to us the deadliness of sin declared to us. What sin earns the sinner is death. The farther a man or woman goes into iniquity, the more dead he becomes to holiness. One commentator put it this way, he loses power to appreciate the beauties of virtue and to be disgusted with the admonitions of vice. That's what Sid does. Sid deadens our senses to the beauty of holiness. Sin causes you and I to be fail to be disgusted with the admonitions of vice. Sin causes you and I to see things in a different light, that as we get deeper into sin, the more we want that sin, the more we live in that sin, we become blinded to the fact that's leading us further and further into a destitute state. Sin is an awful master. Sin is an awful king. Sin is an awful lord because it just drags us further and further and further into the mire, into the mud. So our lives become fruitless. Our lives become barren. Our lives become pointless. But when we yield to Christ, he leads us into holiness. As we yield to righteousness, we find that holy living is a joyful life, an exciting life, an abundant life, a fruit-filled life. So when you and I realize that we present our bodies under God as living sacrifice, we find that they are holy and acceptable unto God, this reasonable service. We find that they're holy and they're acceptable. Serving God, living for God is the best place to be. There is no better place. And young people, as you're starting out in your lives, there is no better place than being in the center of God's will, doing whatever God wants for you, saying, Lord, what's your will for me? Where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to work? Who do you want me to marry? Because when you find God's will for your life in all those areas, your life will be fruitful, exciting, abundant, and full of joy. Yes, there'll be obstacles in the way. Yes, there'll be bumps on the road. But they're bumps that God will lead you through. There is no better place than in the center of God's will. Don't let the world fool you into thinking that they have a better offer. They don't. Don't let the world fool you into thinking your parents are dumb. They're not. The world doesn't have anything better to offer. God has the best offer on the table. He already gave you that when he saved you. Now he just wants you to enjoy that life and enjoy it for eternity. See, we can serve ourselves or we can serve the Lord. 
We shouldn't think that it doesn't matter if we sin. Because sin is deadly. Look in Galatians, please, chapter 6. Galatians 6 and verse 7. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, reap death. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Well, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You see, you and I have a choice to serve sin or serve the Lord. And the principle relating to the new master is that as we serve him, we receive the gift of grace, the free gift of God. That's what he says. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gift of grace. The gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The new master gives to you and I eternal life. A life that is beneficial for us eternally, but a life that you and I receive the benefit of right now when we yield to Christ. That eternal life that you and I have in Christ Jesus because of salvation reaps its rewards right now in this life as we yield to him. There is no better place to be than in the center of God's will. So here's the contrast. Formerly death, now life everlasting. If we serve sin, we'll be paid wages. And those wages are death and fruitlessness. But you notice something here? If we serve God, God doesn't pay wages. And you know why he doesn't pay wages? We don't deserve any. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We don't deserve wages. We're sinners saved by grace. So he doesn't give us wages. What he does, he gives us a free gift. Isn't that a great God that we have? A wonderful God that we serve. God says, I have for you this eternal life. I have for you free gift of eternal life. And I want to pour it out abundantly on you every day of your life if you'll just yield to me. Give me first place. Put me first in your life. And I will give unto you all things that you need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? The things of Matthew chapter 6, the, the temporal things. All these things shall be added unto you. Put him first and God will give you the job that will bring blessing to you. Put him first and he'll give you the husband or wife that will bring blessing to you. Put him first and he will give you what you need in life to make your life abundant, fulfilling and re rejoicing. Put him first. Because as we yield to him, he gives to us the blessings of eternal life, an abundant life, a fruitful life, a rewarding life, a fulfilling life, the side of glory and eternity in his presence through faith in him. You know, now that we're saved, we've been delivered from the dominion of sin. And you and I are under new management. 
And therefore you and I should yield ourselves to God as his servants. In fact, you and I should be enthusiastic in yielding to God, as enthusiastic as we were in yielding to sin. So that the fruits of righteousness will be seen in us. The question for us today is this, which master will we choose? We should choose Christ for his gift for yielding to him is a fruitful, abundant life. Who will you choose as your master this day? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this challenge, Father God, regarding the two masters. Sin which leads unto death. Christ which leads unto eternal life. Help us, Father God, as believers to choose Christ. That our lives might be fulfilling and fruitful and God-honoring day by day. And if anybody doesn't know you as their Savior, may they realize, Father God, the wage of sin is death, eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, commend your word to our lives and our hearts this day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.